Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey Blackburn. I'm your host and joining me, Mel McIsaac, our co-host. Mel, it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Davey. Glad to be here. Mel, we are continuing part two in our conversation with Jeff and Mackenzie Rollins and what an amazing part one uh, that interview was. Wow. Wow. I'm excited about diving back in, but one of the things they talk about in their, their interview is they talk about the importance of community, especially as you're walking through some kind of a tragedy or trial. And uh, they have just unbelievably, uh, unbelievable storytelling and descriptors of the community that surrounded them, their church family, their church community. And Mm -hmm. um, it's such an important aspect of walking through trial. I mean, I've heard it said before that um, God will heal you, you know, 80% of the way, but the the last 20% has to be through community. It has to be through other like people that. that he uses people to to heal you through this process. Um, yeah, I imagine I you mean, probably, can... as a pastor, you have uh, pastor's family. You've got some stories of of how people have surrounded you as well through tough times. Yeah, I can testify to that for sure. I mean, this past Thanksgiving, my middle child, Sadie, was in the hospital for five days. She had a cold and it just got worse and worse. And Mm. uh, we were there for a while just getting fluids and helping her get back on track. And um, unfortunately, it fell over Thanksgiving and it was just so sweet. But we had probably on Thanksgiving day, nine different families come by our house and drop off portions of their Thanksgiving dinner so that, um, that my family could still have a Thanksgiving dinner since we couldn't go see our family that day. And we had families in our church offer to babysit while Charlie and I took turns at the hospital and brought us meals throughout the week. But probably one of the most impactful things that happened that week is that we had a mom in our church who had just finished chemo. Um, She was postpartum. She had a newborn baby that had just got out of the NICU and she, in the most joyful manner, brought us a meal. And when she came to the door and she's bringing me this meal, I mean, tears were filling in my eyes because it was just so humbling to receive that gift from her. And um, yeah, I just, I saw the way that she was just excited to serve our family. And it showed me that it's better to give than to receive. Yeah, man, that's incredible. It breaks my heart for um, folks that um, maybe they don't, for whatever reason, they don't have that community to wrap, you know, around them during times of tragedy. And I think oftentimes what we fall into uh, in our lives is that we, it's like when tragedy hits, that's the time that people go back to church. You know, that's yeah. typically what happens in someone's life. It's like, oh no, I just walked in this thing. I, I've, conf- I've been confronted by life in such a way that I don't know what to do. And so now I need to go to church. Now I need to go and see if there's so somebody true. who can help me with this. And what's really tragic, probably even, um, you know, layered on top of their tragedy is the fact that they expect communities to surround them in that, but they haven't spent the time building that community before the tragedy Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's, it, it seems like that the church should be there to, you know, to be able to help you and stuff, but because you haven't been connected, then it's, it's a, it's a false expectation to put on people because they, they don't know you. They're not in your life. And what we want to have in our lives are people who know us so well that they beat us to the hospital <laughs> before the tragedy happens, you yeah. know, because they're so in tuned to our lives, but that takes like time preemptively to build a foundation with people and to be plugged into church community so that when that happens, when the, you know, tragedy takes place or when, you know, someone is sick in your family, then people are there, they're wrapping their arms around you. And I just find all too often that people get really frustrated and bitter at the church because they weren't quote unquote there for them in their tragedy. When before the tragedy, they weren't, they weren't spending the time creating that community, you know. Community is a tricky thing. I mean, anytime you put people together, a bunch of sinful people together, you know, yeah, it, it can get really tough. It can get really tough. Well, I think what I've loved about this family, the Rollins family that we've listened to is that um, they were bringing the church outside of the four walls of the mm, actual church building. They right. were They were bringing the hands and feet of Christ to their neighborhood. And so they had spent 
years investing in these friendships and these friendships were there when they needed them. Yeah. And they weren't, you know, they weren't doing it to, you know, they weren't saying like, well, I'm gonna do this so that when a tragedy hits my life, then I've got people there to, that wasn't their motivation. Their motivation approaching community was, I'm just going to pour into people. I'm going to help people. I'm going to love people. And the byproduct of that is that, you know, scripture says God refreshes those who refresh others. Mm. So when you spend your life refreshing people, then you will be in turn refreshed when your life is dry or when you hit that situation. And so I read this this book by, and it's definitely not a easy light read, but if anybody wants to dive into just kind of um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's mind on community, it's called Life Together. But And probably the, the biggest takeaway that I got from that is that when we approach community wanting something from that community, we, we undo the beauty of that community. Mm. Because the beauty of community is everybody approaching community saying, what can I offer to this? How can I give, my, give of myself for this community? How can I serve the other people here? And if everybody a part of that group, whatever it is, a small group or a, a book club or whatever it is that you're a part of that you consider your community, your close friends, your safe environment, if you approach it with this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give and everybody approaches with this, I'm going to give, there's going to be an abundance of resources right there, emotional resources for people to draw from. And you're always going to be filled up. But when mm-hmm. we approach it with like, what can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? It becomes, it kind of becomes this scarcity mentality culture where everybody's looking out for themselves and it destroys community, completely yeah. destroys it. That's when comparison creeps in, which is the cancer of community. That's when, you know, all kinds of the, just the rotten, nasty things take place is because, you know, expectations of other people and then those expe- expectations aren't met. And so there's disappointment and there's blame and there's all the really nasty things about community when we approach it of, with what can I get out of this, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, oh, that's really good. Yeah. That's so, really good. so here's what we're saying. It's like have community around you so that when life kind of falls through the cracks for you, you, you have people around you, but don't approach your community with that motivation. Exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. It's kind of this weird, <laughs> this weird paradox of things. Um, but again, there's that, that title of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book is Life Together. And I would say that life is better together. Oh right? yeah, for sure. It's just a principle. If we just live by that principle of community, then people will be around when we walk through that, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of community, we would like to be your virtual community. Hey, and if there you, you go. have not followed us yet on Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, please get on there and follow us. And um, we got lots of good things to share, like book giveaways and quotes and all kinds of good stuff. So we'd love to be your community and hear from you there. Yeah. I love our Nothing Is Wasted community. People are writing in like crazy, telling us their stories. They're interacting with us. And, um, I just hope that over the course of the next several months and, you know, even several years that the community just continues to broaden and that we are able to figure out ways that we can connect each other a little bit more and deeper into these pockets of community. So that'd be awesome. And if you have not had a chance to rate and review us on iTunes, we would love to hear from you and hear how this podcast has been used in your life. Um, it always blesses us and yeah. we would love to know how to pray for you. And I am so looking forward to hearing the second part of this interview. So let's listen now. I want to welcome you back to part two of our interview with Jeff and Mackenzie Rollins. And um, guys, where we left off, you guys had just discovered the news that your three-month-old baby girl, Zoe, um, she uh, she had passed away at the babysitter's house. And in the last episode, you, you shared with us um, some of those first moments out there in the yard, the neighbors looking on, and... Um, your initial reaction with that. Uh, why don't you dive in and let's take us back to the babysitter's house. Tell us what, what, what happened from there. Because these moments right in the aftermath of tragedy like this, I mean, these are, these are, these are really fragile moments. They're also really sacred moments. It's where, where I feel like the Lord meets you in some powerful ways. So um, take us back there. What happened? Yeah, so I think the hard part is whenever you experience a tragedy, there are certain things that are like crystal clear mm. 
And then there's a whole lot of things that are just foggy. Yeah. And, and I believe our, our brains kind of hold on to what's important and then dismiss whatever's not. But mm. so to give you a time frame of how long we were there, I can't, I can't give it to you, but I do know this. We, we were interviewed by the sheriff's department and then they, they took Zoe away to do an autopsy. But while we were there at some point, you know, certain friends had come the, one of our close friends who was pastor of a different church we weren't going to that um, was involved in the school that we were teaching. He came with his wife and our senior pastor and another pastor from the church that was getting ready to send us down to Ecuador. They came. And I remember at one point in time, they were standing on either side of me. And I don't know if we were talking or if we were just silent or what, but I remember clearly making a statement and I said, Satan, you can't have her death. Mm. And, and there are things that I believe God gives us strength to do. And then there are things that God basically does for us mm. when we're available. And I think that was one of those, like God saying, I'm going to say this through you yeah. because this is what you need. And I believe in that statement, what we did is we declared to whatever spiritual power was in the area mm that we were not going to allow right. the loss of our daughter to take more from us than her life. Mm. And we found out later that what she died from was sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS. Mm. There really is no definitive explanation of what SIDS is. Yeah. There's different theories, but they're just that. They're theories. And, and nobody really knows. And... In a way, there's comfort in that mm. because then I can't play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. Although yeah, yeah. you like to. I I remember as I was driving to change cars with my mom so she could have the car seats for the kids, I remember thinking, well, I could just pick them up early and surprise her. And And I remember thinking if I had done that, would she be alive? But later on through doing research into SIDS, find out that there have been episodes of SIDS that have occurred in you know, in hospitals with everybody who's trained right. to resuscitate and, and they can't, right. they literally can't do anything. And so there's comfort in that. But then at the same time, just, just being there, there's something helpless mm-hmm. and it's hard and it's difficult. And I remember we were standing there with our pastors for a while as investigation was being wrapped up and then they drove us home to our house and minus Zoe. Mm. And as soon as you walk in, you know, we have a baby swing, you know, in our living room, we have, you know, burp rags on the couch, you know, bottles drying on the rack and, you know, and she's only three months old and I'm, you know, still nursing. Man. And so, you know, I was in so much physical pain as I was emotional pain. And um, it it was almost like the physical pain was like a manifestation of how deeply my heart was broken. So as we sat on the couch, you know, I remember we looked at our pastors and we're like, what do we say to our boys? Uh, You know, we have two boys that we have to explain this to. And we, we don't even know what to say. And, um, and and they they, loved her. Oh my goodness. I can imagine. You know, somehow boys can be annoyed by babies, especially a baby girl. Right. They would come down waking up and, and she'd be on the floor and they would lay down next to her. <sighs> Sometimes you'd see a pile of toys completely around her because they were giving her her or toys. Piled on top of her. <laughs> or a pile on top of her. Um, <laughs> our youngest son, Jace, would sometimes come down and he would sleep in longer, but he would come and take his blanket that he called Gigi and he would lay down next to her and cover her with it as well. And I'm sure she loved that because she would always kick it off. And just the way they loved her was so beautiful. And knowing that she was gone was so hard. And so Mm. we asked our pastor, you know, what do we say? How do we tell our boys? And I remember our senior pastor literally saying, I don't know, Yeah, but God will give you the words. And, and it seems like a cop out, but it really wasn't. It was in the most tender way that you can say, I don't know, was literally what it was. But it's true that God does give you the words. And so 
after just kind of beginning to process and, and trying to figure out what do we do? What are our next yeah. steps? Like, you know, it's not like it's an illness where you can prepare or somebody older who's already written down their wishes for when they die. Yeah. I mean, three month old girl, what do you do? And so we talked through a little bit of that. And finally, finally it was time to bring the boys over. And so they called my parents and, and it was so amazing having my parents there. I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't been able to give them to give the boys to my parents to allow us just a little bit of time to breathe and, and figure out what goes on next. And, and I remember they brought him over and our oldest Jaden, the first thing he said when he walked into the door is, I want to go play with Zoe. Uh, I want to see her. And our hearts just broke. Wow. And so we, we had him come over and sit on the couch with us. And, um, you know, like how God just lined everything yeah, up. Yeah. And you can't see that in the moment, no, you know. Right. Um, but he, the, the week before in Sunday school, you know, I can picture driving home and he's like, did you know that God's preparing a place for us? You know, and God has a room for us and he's preparing all of our, you know, just, wow. you know, in the four-year-old. He's gushing from church. Yeah, yeah. and he's talking wow. about how they had, lo- they had learned about heaven and, you know, just Jeez. how God is preparing for us, but he has a job for us to do. Wow. And and we had been using that idea of a job to prepare them for Ecuador. Yeah, saying, you know, yeah. we have a job to do and, and the next part of our job is to move down to Ecuador. And so even it, it, God in his sovereignty, mm. it, as, as cruel as it sounds, God was preparing yeah. us mm. to receive yeah. Zoe's death. Yeah. And yeah. so as we shared with them, you know, her job here was done. Mm. And, um, you know, her room was ready. Room was ready. Mm. They wow. got it. Wow. And, you know, our, our three-year-old just kind of curled into us and didn't say anything. Very stoic. And That's our, kind of his personality. Yeah, and, yeah. and our four-year-old just cried and said, but I was a good brother to her oh. and I loved her so much. Gosh. And of course, you know, that just breaks your oh, heart even course. more. And so, you know, we just held each other and cried. And then, you know, finally, you know, they stopped and you know our four-year-old stopped crying he's like i think i'm gonna go color mm. and they went upstairs and they started coloring and playing legos and in that moment we realized you know we can't put our grief on our children yeah, yeah. and we yeah. have to learn how wow. to grieve in our own ways and we have to let them grieve in their own way yeah. because for them the idea that zoe went to heaven was you know, done. Yeah. Like her, she went to heaven. And so in that moment, you know, the Lord gave us a wisdom for our own mm-hmm. family that they didn't need to know about her body mm-hmm. and they didn't need to see her. They didn't need to, to do a, a graveside service. And so, you know, just in those little things, the Lord began to show us a picture of how we needed to um, handle yeah. these things that were to come. Wow. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things that when you allow God into your pain and suffering, Mm. he shows you not just how he's prepared you, but he shows you how to walk through it. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I kept saying to the pastor um, was, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I need to speak at her memorial. I don't know what that looks like and all that, but I I knew I knew that I had to get up there and and share something. And what it was at the time didn't matter. Yeah. But I had to take that step of obedience and say, I need to do this. Yeah. And, and so we began planning things. Um, after a little bit, he, the pastors left and my family was there. My brother and sister-in-law came over with my nephew and, and he went, our nephew was playing with the boys and, we were just sitting there and, and there's a beautiful picture of how people come together and support each other in the immediate aftermath of a yep. tragedy. Uh, I'm sure you know, like people came over yep. or, or you either go, probably in your case, go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you just love on each other and, and you're there. But then there's that first night. Mm. Yeah. And I remember <sighs> feeling, you know, 
I don't know why, but I just felt so scared. I felt so yeah, fearful yeah. Mm-hmm. because I think I felt so out of control, really. And um, yep. I remember I would be like, Jeff, I need to go to the bathroom. Can you just come and stand outside the bathroom? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just so scared of, of being alone. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that just was the deep pain yep. in my heart. I just felt so alone. Um, at that wow. time. And so, you know, that first night was just awful. And, you know, we, we couldn't sleep and just lay we, there. We brought the boys into our room because we weren't going to mm. make them sleep upstairs. We we just, we laid and, and Mackenzie's not a cuddler either. Like she likes her own hemisphere <laughs> when we're sleeping. But that night she did not leave my side. I think we mm. just held each other and we didn't sleep. Yeah, We tried closing our eyes but nothing. And, and it was just, a, yeah, it was that feeling of deep fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the next, well, it was really, you know, that morning we finally got up and the boys were asleep. And so we went out into the living room and just talked and, you know, we wrote, um, a post on our blog. Um, we had, we'd been getting our blog ready and we were a couple days away from launching it to announce, are moving to Ecuador. Some yeah. people knew, but not everybody knew. And so we were we were excited because we were, we had this blog. We had already set up, you know, the background and everything. And and with Mackenzie's having been a mommy blogger, you know, we we had a lot of cool ideas for right. it. Right. But we also knew that there were people all over the country, all over the world, really praying for us, and they had no idea mm. what was going on. In fact, I remember a message from somebody who they had been missionaries with my parents down in South America. And I remember them saying, they said, we're praying, but we don't know why. Wow. And so I looked at Mackenzie and I said, we have to tell them. Yeah. We have to tell them what happened. We have to let them know. And, and I think part of us didn't want to share it because in doing so, it made it's a, it a reality. Yeah, it made it a reality. Yeah. And you put it out there. It, it's almost like in your mind, in this weird way, we're waiting for the phone call for mm. whoever said, no, 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 she's not dead. We actually had her. Mm. And and as yeah. much as you want to rip their head off for kidnapping your kid, she's right. alive. And so yeah. you're like, I wouldn't even care right. at this right. moment. We're waiting for that phone call and that phone call never comes. And, and so finally at 4.30 in the morning, we get out of bed and said, okay, we need to write this. And we write our story out. Mm. And, and I, I genuinely believe that that was the beginning of the healing process yeah. because after that's out there, you can't, you can't hide. Yep. Yeah. You can't hide from the fact that it's happened, that it's real. And so we tell this story and then, then the boys wake up a little bit later and put on cartoons. And, and then I told Mackenzie, I said, I need to go shower. I need to shave and I need to make our bed. Mm. And I said, if I don't do that now, I don't know when I will yeah. do it because yeah. I could feel myself starting to slide into a, a depression. Mm. And I mean, thankfully, we don't have alcohol in the house because it would have been gone mm. that night because mm. in that moment, you you look at people's lives and, and, and if somebody's struggling with substance abuse, you wonder like what led to that. And in that moment, I had the greatest empathy for people yep. that experienced that because yep. I knew in that moment, I said... I get why people yeah. become drug addicts, Absolutely. why become, they become alcoholics, because I wanted anything to take to away that pain that yep. I was feeling. Mm. Yep. But at the same time, God had prepared us in that we knew that that pain yeah. needed to be felt. In this yeah. weird way, we knew that that was part of God's process of, of putting us through that refiner's fire. And, and, and it's, it's powerful, it's painful, and it sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. But at the same time, we knew that whatever he was doing mm. would be better on the other side. And it it wasn't this blind, like, I don't want to ask God questions. We asked God questions. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, we knew we had to take steps forward and move forward in our pain. Wow. I remember Jeff said, you know, I need to go up to her room. And I was like, oh... You know, as a mom with two young boys, and then this right. is our girl, I'm just like, oh, I don't think I can go up there. Right. And, but then the thought of going up there alone was even worse. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I'll go with you. Yeah. And so, you know, 
we went up to her room and we sat, um, you know, together in, in the chair and we just cried. Oh. And we remembered, you know, all those times with her and all the times preparing her room for her mm. arrival. And we thank God for her. Yeah. And, and I think in that, in that moment, we broke this stronghold. Yeah, that's it. That this fear yep. and her death could have had over us. Yeah. And so in that moment, we, we said, you know, when it's hard, we're going to push through. Go, we can it. do hard. Yes. We can do the hard things, but we have to do them together. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, we were talking to um, um, a gal the other day who, who lost her brother and, and she had, um, you know, expressed that she just, anything that, kind of made her feel that pain, she would, she would escape it. She, mm. you know, she'd walk into church and feel pain and have all these like questions of God and couldn't handle it. So she'd, she'd walk out of it. And that's exactly what we told her. We said, listen, I know it sucks. I know it's going to be excruciating, but every time you feel that step into it, yeah. lean into it, you know, our friend Levi Lesko Stole it, I think, from Brian Houston. I mean, it's just this phrase that's been passed along here, and we talk about it a lot, the run toward the roar. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. You have to run toward the heart of grief if you're going to come out on the other side um, triumphant out of it. I think we, you know, in that moment, we said we just, we have to go into the pain, and then we're going to come out that's stronger. It. Yep. And... In those moments, you know, it is so hard yeah. and it hurts so bad, but the freedom and the peace on the other side mm. is, is a gift. It is, yeah. It, it is such a gift. And yeah. I think there's something intimate about inviting God into oh, that man. pain. Um, if you look at Psalm 23, you know, mm. so many of us know it. The Lord is my shepherd and and he goes and, and he's talking and it's always he, he, he referring yep. to God in the third person. And then that shift happens. Yep. When David talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he shifts into this, this second person yep. personal yep. encounter even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you, you. are with me, your rod and your staff. They That's come so for good. me. Wow. And, and there's something amazingly beautiful and difficult and, and tragic and powerful that when God just is allowed to come into our pain and suffering, he comes in not as a distant observer who doesn't know what it's like, right. but literally someone who knows exactly what we're feeling. In our case specifically, God gave up his own son willingly. Yeah. And, and, and to invite that God, not only who created us, but who also gave him his son up, who is a, a child lost parent yeah. as well. Yeah. Inviting him into that, there's something amazingly beautiful to allowing him that that space and that opportunity to guide us. Um, I we, we wrote one of the posts in our blog. We we talked about walking through the pain, and we talk about how physical pain is an indicator for us to jump back or or mm. to bring attention to something. You 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 burn your hand on on a hot stove and you jump back, right? And, and you take away your body or whatever member of your body that that is in that painful situation, you pull back from it. Emotional pain is the opposite. Yeah. We want to respond to emotional pain with the same physical response that right. we have, but it's so different because God wants us to experience that that emotional pain so that he mm. can come in and heal mm -hmm. whatever is going on and then use that for his glory on the other side. Wow. And, and, and we've learned that since then. We didn't have all those words in that moment, but yeah. we knew something in us was pushing us to walk through that pain, yeah. something in us. And it was God. It was literally God walking us through. And, and, and I share this... Um, not because I want people to feel guilty if they haven't done that, but rather that to encourage them that in facing that deep, dark, difficult pain, God will meet you That's if right. you let him. Yep. And he doesn't care what you feel about him, if you're mad at him or if you're, you know, just apathetic towards him. He doesn't care where you are as long as you allow him to step into that pain. Yeah. He will be be there and meet you and walk with you in that. 
One of my favorite verses that's come out of our tragedy, and I think my counselor is the one that first shared it with me, is Isaiah 30 uh, in verse 20. And it says, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher, and it's capital T, teacher, so it's referencing Jesus. It's an Old Testament reference of him. Yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And I just imagine that verse being paired up with Psalm 23, where you're like, hey, I'm not yeah. afraid because for, he's with me and, this, and he's my teacher and he's going to teach me how to heal from this process. He's the great counselor. He's going to be able to walk me step by step by step through the valley of the shadow of death and I'm going to emerge out of it. Man, wow. I think so many times, you know, <clears throat> we wonder, you know, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this pain? Or why, why me? Yeah, yeah. and you know, we were so grateful that we got to see one of those things, yeah. you know, fairly quickly, probably um, a week after... Zoe's memorial service, um, a na- one of our neighbors called me and she said, are you home? And I was like, no, we're, you know, we're leaving tomorrow for Ecuador. We're out running errands. And she's like, well, call me when you get home. And so I was like, okay. When I got home, um, you know, I gave her a call and she came over and she knocked on her door. And when I opened the door, she said, I'm ready. Oh. And she'd been in our small group for about a year. And wow. she said, this past week, this has really rocked my world. And I checked myself into the hospital with severe anxiety. And as I laid on that emergency room bed, I said, God, what am I doing? I'm not even the parents. Wow. And she said, I realized the only thing that you have that I don't have is God. And I am not going to make this through through this Mm. without him. And so I need him right now. And so the night before we were were getting ready to leave for a a month trip, you know, she received Christ. And that was such a gift to us because we could see immediately the results of Zoe's life. Yeah. Wow. And and I think that happened because... Instead of asking God why, we said, okay, God, what? Mm. And, and and not in this like blind, like, okay, God, whatever you want to do. No, mm. we, we wrestled with God and, and wow. his sovereignty and stuff. But at the same time, we trusted him. You know, I, I think there's this, this false idea in our society today that we have to like everything about God to accept him as God. Yeah. And that's not, that's just not true. Like I can not like that God took Zoe away and still turn to him and say, but God, your will be done. Mm. I mean, if you look at Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he had a different will than the father. Literally he prays, God, Mm -hmm. if anything, if there's any way, take this cup from me. And then Mm. he says, but not my will. So in other words, he had a different will and Jesus was without sin. So I think it's okay for us to have a different will than what God's will is. I mean, we had a completely different will. We, We had Zoe's in our plans to go with us down to Ecuador. And God said, no, wow, that's not my plan. And, and we can choose in that moment to accept that, or we can fight him and we can say, no, 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 this wasn't my will. But God allows us when we shift our perspective from why to mm. what, he allows us to see what he's doing. And so we were preparing for a month long exploratory trip that was just the right time because mm. what it did was it allowed us to get away. And, and when we went down there, we could share with people or not share with yeah. people. I remember shortly before going there, we, we had some people that, that ran into us into a store and, and they almost like grieved on us mm. what, what they were feeling. And, and as much as we appreciate that, we didn't want to go there in the middle of yeah, a store right. as we're buying, you know, jungle pants for our boys. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so like what going to Ecuador allowed us this first trip was that time to process through and, and get away, be anonymous and share. And, and we were able to, and the only, the only place we knew we couldn't get away from it was one of the churches that we were working at where we had been taking that, that trip of students. We knew we were yeah. going to be there, but there was something beautiful about allowing this Ecuadorian church in the jungle of Ecuador to, to pray with us mm through the loss and, and then to be able for me to preach 
and they know where I'm coming from because yeah. they knew our story. We were Facebook friends. Yeah. You know, we would do messages back and forth. And for them to just see God through all of this yeah. was just this amazing opportunity to to see how God was even in those those first month or two beginning to use our story of of Zoe's loss because I mean God gave it to us. I remember at our memorial service for Zoe, we, you know, personally we chose not to do anything graveside. Mm. We had somebody that had shared with us that she had buried her child and she had to be pulled away from the grave. Mm. And, and and we just thought we don't want that. We didn't let our boys see her after she was embalmed. We we just said, you know what? That's not the picture we want them yeah. to see at that age. And, and and for us, that was our family decision. For others, it may be different and that's yeah. okay. But but one of the things that was amazing when we were doing the memorial service, they were burying her at that time, but we were doing the memorial service and then we had the uh the receiving line, which that's hard. Yeah. In and of itself. Yeah. It's just everybody coming to so emotionally yeah. taxing. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know how we made it through. And, and Mackenzie, poor Mackenzie, still, you know, her breast milk's still there. And so she's wow. having to like make sure she has her jacket covering yeah. it. Oh my up. gosh. Um, sorry, TMI for everybody out there. <laughs> but but like they're little things. But I remember the the prayer leader at our church told us afterwards, she said, God gave this to you because he could trust mm-hmm. you with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know that to be true. Like God gave us Zoe. He knew all along, you know, Psalm 139, 16, before a single one of them came to pass, I knew the days wow. that you were going to have. Zoe's life was exactly the length that it was supposed to be. Yeah. It, for us, it was way too short, but God knew. In his yeah. sovereign plan, he knew all of this. And so we can choose to fight him or we can choose to accept what he's doing and, and, and then move forward. And so we had this great opportunity to continue down that path. And in October of 2014, we moved as a family with 20-something bags down to Ecuador wow. um, for this adventure that God called us to. And, mm. and our church had this vision of, of disciple-making movement and just this great, great heart for seeing people, tons of people come into faith in, in Christ and, and to giving their lives and then teaching others how to do that as well. And so we got to be a part and join in on that. That's so cool. Now, um, so you guys make this transition then to Ecuador and you're doing ministry and you've got, your church has this um, incredible vision, discipleship strategy, but you, you even though you thought it was going to be for a long term, it, it, it wasn't. You're, you're back here in the States, you're doing ministry in a different context. Um, what happened there? What, what, what started burdening your heart? So I think for us, you know, we had always done ministry together. Yeah. And so when we went down to Ecuador, we were doing the same thing that we had done in our neighborhood, you know, just with a different people. And, um, it was, you know, a little different than that. Jeff was traveling a lot and training a lot. And so, you know, the boys and I were just, we were trying to find our place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at one point we began helping out uh, at a television station um, in their counseling clinic. (laughs) And uh, some of the training that we had before leaving for Ecuador in prayer counseling, which was our heart, you know, we're very much pastoral. And after this, you know, our, the pastoral side of us was so much stronger. Yeah. So we found ourselves sitting with people in this um, television station and listening to their problems day after day. And we loved it. Hmm. And, and we it, were praying with them and we were crying with them. Yeah. But at the same time, we saw God do this amazing work where they would share with us just some of the struggles that they were having based on abuse, based mm. on, you know, and, and a lot of it, sexual abuse, loss, but, and, and what God allowed us to do was walk with them into that mm. memory, allow him to show them lies that they began believing about themselves and have him exchange those lies for truth wow. and where they could walk away from that meeting, knowing the truth about who they are. And, and, and wow. it's something that a counselor might be able to tell them, but to have God tell you something yeah. is totally different because God's word is living and active. And, and just seeing that we found ourselves over and over yeah. again, just sitting with people in their brokenness. One of the most powerful ones is I remember being at home and Jeff called and said, 
So this grandma just walked in and um, her grandchild her grandchild just passed away from SIDS oh, yesterday. And the mom can't be around her other children because she's afraid, you know, sh- her presence will, you know, right. make them pass away. Right. Oh, wow. And, you know, lots of superstition. Yeah, and absolutely. so... I just remember taking a deep breath and saying, oh, I don't know if I can do this one. This one is a little too close yep. to home. And um, I remember driving in to to the station and we go into the room together and um, just praying with that mom and allowing her to see these lies that she's been believing, but allowing God to speak truth mm. to that pain and then to bring those children in and to let them share with their mom how they're feeling and let their mom share with them. It was, you know, wow. so powerful. And we both left there and we're like, um, we want to do this every day, yeah. you know? And, <laughs> and so at the moment we're kind of juggling discipleship, which we're super passionate about, mm-hmm. but also, you know, this is our heart. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is what we, we were made to do mm-hmm. and, and what had happened out of the loss of Zoe yeah, and so so we found ourselves with this dilemma of the church has this great vision of disciple making movements mm. and 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 you know rapid growth, and and we love that and we love that heart, but at the same time we found ourselves like we're not doing that because we're sitting with people in their brokenness and, and we felt like that's where God was really using us and doing all this wow. all these things and so. We began asking questions of, well, what does it look like to merge the two? And so for a few months, um, this is 2017 now, a couple months, we're trying to figure out what does that look like to merge the two? And And, and during that time, um, some of our dear friends who were expats in Ecuador, Mm. um, they're their daughter passed away um, of a a sudden seizure. And we're the first on the scenes with the parents. Um, Jeff's calling 911. You know, Jeff's helping with CPR and, and she passes away. And I remember just looking at the mom and I didn't have words, but our eyes connected and I, I, you know, we, we got it. You know, you you understand. They knew that that us there, there was something there, even though we didn't have words to say, because I mean, it was so different. Our, Zoe was three months old. Their daughter was 19. And and she, you know, she was living with them and, and had this great life. She was going to be a midwife and work yeah. with YWAM. And God just had this, this was this amazing teenager, just mm-hmm. incredible. And, and God allowed her to pass away from a seizure. She had struggled with seizures mm-hmm. before, but for some reason, God allowed this. And and so this is, you know, going on while we're trying to figure out what does it look like to, you know, walk in what the church is asking us to do, but then also what what we feel like God, how God is wanting to use us. And so we ended up making a decision that was probably best for us to come mm. back, not knowing what we were going <laughs> to do. Wow. And, um, you know, that was a whole grief in and of itself. Yeah, for because sure. Because we pictured ourselves you know, our end was overseas. Right. And so when we came back, we're kind of, okay, God, you know, like yeah. you better show up, you no better joke. show up and you better show us what you have for us because <laughs> we have no idea. Um, but even in okay. that time, when we came back, people from our church had known that we had done some training and prayer counseling. And so they're like, Jeff, can you meet with my husband? Or, you know, <laughs> can you guys meet with us? And so yeah. we began meeting with different people while he's searching for jobs. And we're like, man, if we could just like pray with people, yeah. like, where do we sign up for this <laughs> job? We just want to meet with oh, people and man. pray with people. Um, and so at that same time, our church uh, reminded us that they had a Zoe Memorial Fund. Oh, and, wow. you know, it was designated to go to a nonprofit. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, as a mom, I'm like, I felt such a deep responsibility with that. You know, I want whoever I give it to, you know, needs to like have this and do this. And I'm, I'm searching online to find an organization (laughs) that does what I want them to do. (laughs) And so, but nobody did it. (laughs) And so I kept looking and finally I was like, God, what do you want me to do? I have this burden. (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) And so why not you? Yeah. Yeah, Mm. And that came and (laughs) and God's kind of like, well, what about you? And I had no idea what nonprofit, you know, Mm -hmm. we'd never been in that sector before. Mm -hmm. We'd always been in church ministry. And so um, on staff at, at our church, there was, um, a man who volunteers his time to help set up 
nonprofits. Wow. Yeah. And we had known him before going to Ecuador because I had talked with him during some meetings and stuff that before going to Ecuador, he had shared that, you know, he had lost his daughter and his Mm -hmm. wife in a car accident when his daughter was 20 years old. And so I knew that he knew our pain, but at the same time, he had walked through it differently than we were. And and there was this mutual admiration of each other. And and there was a, you know, a, a beginning of a friendship. And so, yeah. But during that time, you know, again, like God just kept bringing loss into our lives. And um, another family from the church, um, the dad had accidentally backed over his two-year-old daughter. Oh my gosh. And um, we reached out to them and he asked us to come over that day um, and a couple of days afterwards. And so we went over, we didn't know them. Um, We did not know what to say, Mm. you know, and you're on your way over saying, God, give us the words. And as soon as we walked in, we just hugged them and we just cried with them. Mm. And we, it was like we had known them forever. Yeah. And, and the only plan we had going in there was we need to get them separate Mm. just to allow her to grieve on Mackenzie and allow him to grieve on me Mm. because we know that in our situation and in the loss of a child, especially both parents try to be strong for each other, Mm. but in doing so they fail to grieve well, unless somebody comes in and allows them that permission to grieve, but they're not going to grieve with just anybody. It has to be somebody who's lost a child. And so we split off Mackenzie and the mom stay in the living room. Again, this is June of, in, of 2017 in Houston. So the husband and I go on the porch and it's hot (laughs) and humid and we spend two hours and it was amazing because God allowed me and him to walk on this amazing journey of him just sharing all the stuff that he was carrying and just laying wow. it down at the foot of Jesus at the cross. And then God speaking to him and telling him that things are okay and and even allowing him, and, and I don't know what the theology behind this is, but allowing him to hear his daughter say, it's okay, daddy, mm. I'm okay. Mm. And knowing that God use us in that way and seeing the transformation in his life. We left. We got back in the car and, you know, we had no idea what the other had experienced and we get in the car and I just start to cry and Jeff starts to cry. Mm. And um, I said, do you remember when our pastors from San Diego came out Mm. to be with us? Cause they had lost their son. And I said, I knew I needed them. I knew that I needed them when Zoe passed away. And I said, do you remember what Bill said? He told us that this was a terrible gift. Yeah. And I was like, nope, this is just terrible. Yeah. And I said, Jeff, this was the this gift. This is the gift part. I said, today, this is the gift. The gift wow. is we can walk into a home of people that we don't know and we can connect on a level wow. unlike anything else because we get it. Yep. And because the Lord is is that connector mm. of empathy, true empathy. Mm-hmm. And so from then, that was just like the confirmation that we needed. Um, And so we we walk with them. The accident for them happened Monday night. Even our senior pastor had been worried about the dad being suicidal. He Mm -hmm. was that distraught in the ER. To us walking together on Wednesday... And then Saturday, him standing up, he was a, he had just been named the head football coach at the high school where he was teaching. Mm. And if you didn't know anything about Texas and high school football, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and so they get up in front of this packed sanctuary at our church, and he gets up and says, even in spite of this death, how God is good. Mm. And in front of wow. his players and coworkers, and she was also a teacher at another high school. And, and so they were there and just proclaiming God. And, wow. and in that moment, there was just this overwhelming sense of pride, but then awe and astonishment that God can take this and use it and is still using it in their lives. And, and mm. they, they have since become some of our best friends. Mm-hmm. Our boys have, have played together on sports teams wow. and just this amazing journey that we began, but we began with taking that risk to go and meet with yeah, them yeah. and not knowing what we were going to say to continuing to walk with them. Mm. And, and that's when we realized that this is needed. We had our pastors from San Diego fly out and be with us because they had lost their son and they, we knew that they had gone through that grief well. Mm. And they walked us through what it looked like. 
And now we were able to do that with this family. And so we began to do that and we said, this is it. This is what God is calling us to. And so from there, you know, we began um, Hope Family Care Mm. and uh, with the focus on bringing hope and healing amidst loss. Mm. We, in 2018, we were able to connect with over 155 families across the U.S. who had lost a child. Wow. Um, our open door is kind of our hope bag yeah. that we send to these families. And oh, so, so cool. you know, we're constantly getting names and addresses and, and we send them this bag of things that were super meaningful to many of the families. Right. And then from there, we connect them into community, whether it's a book study, mm. whether it's into a local a ministry that we're mm. building in different areas of the country, but then also, um, our retreats. Yeah. Our retreats, but also Mm. even just texting them or Mm -hmm. messaging them and just asking them, how can we pray for you? How are you doing? Mm. And just even being able to them ask us questions, say, I'm feeling this and us be able to say, you know, that's normal. That's fine. Like it's weird because in grief and the grief of a child, the loss of a child is anything goes really like, Mm. I mean, you can't tell somebody, this or that. My my wife loves these Dateline mysteries in 2020 mm. and, and all those things. And and we watch them and I always hear, you know, them interview juries and well, I, I, I knew it was the mom because nobody grieves that way. And now on this side, I'm like, mm-hmm. how can you say that? Yeah. How can you say what you would have done if you've never experienced right. that? Because right. it's so different and and unique and it's not better or worse than losing a parent or losing a spouse right. in your case, but it's just it's different. it's different and each you each grief is unique and we don't know how somebody is going to grieve but yeah. for somebody to say hey i'm experiencing this sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad that's normal yep. or i'm feeling this way that's normal and uh-huh. be able to give them that assurance that that what they're experiencing is right in line with what they're going through but also to be able to push them mm-hmm. and, and and ask some of those tough questions. I remember we have a friend in in Denver who planted a church and and we were talking one day after sharing with um we I had shared at the church and and we were talking with somebody in the congregation and I asked a few questions and mm-hmm. and he looked at me afterwards he's like you can ask that. <laughs> I said I can because I have the permission because right. I've walked through mm-hmm. it. Right that might not be received from you, even though he could say the exact same thing or ask the same exact question in the same exact way, Mm. because I've walked through it, I have the permission to step into that pain with that family. And that's what we realized that God wanted. And, and we started the, um, the ministry, we started in 2017 and then we found ourselves being evacuated by a little thing called Harvey. Um, our house flooded. (laughs) So we're evacuating family and our dogs that we brought back with us from Ecuador, um, all this stuff. But God through this said, you know what? I've got you because Mm -hmm. three days after Harvey hit, we got our last paycheck as a severance paycheck from the church after sending us down. They were so generous to support us as Mm -hmm. we were figuring out what to do next. And since then we've been, you know, this is our full-time job and we've been living on faith. Yeah, It's been a struggle sometimes, Mm -hmm. but God's not yet, he has yet to fail us in terms yeah. of providing for us. And yeah. we know he'll continue. That doesn't mean there's not stress right. involved every now and then. Um, but it's just amazing because we get to walk with families in their deepest and darkest pain. Man. And yet we get to see the resiliency and the beauty and the strength of these amazing families that yeah. we've met throughout the country. And I think it's, you know, it's a privilege. Yeah. Like it is such a privilege for them to allow us into those dark places. Um, and I think for us, we know it's our calling yeah. because it brings us life. Oh yeah. And and these are heavy stories. Right. When you have something that is right? this heavy and it's bringing you life. Yeah. You that, know. You know. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. You guys are the true definition of finding purpose in your pain. I mean, it really, I'm, it's so remarkable. I'm so proud of you guys. Um, I know it's the Holy Spirit through you. I know that, but I'm proud of you for responding in this way because there's a hundred other ways that you could have responded. But you guys have just continued to walk through those open doors of ministry. I love what you said, Jeff, about it's not a bad thing to ask why. I think mm-hmm. that we ask why all the time. That's a, probably a, a normal um, phase of this, but to then transition that why to a what mm-hmm. and go, okay, God, what are you wanting to do out of this? What are you wanting to do in me? 
What do you want to do through me? What do you want to do for me? Sometimes that we don't, we don't, we discount that gift aspect of things, right? That this, there's God's doing something for us in this as well. And um, I just, I just so appreciate your heart and what you guys are, the ministry you guys are doing, because um, you're proving that nothing is wasted. You're yeah. saying, hey, we, we're, we're going to help families through this pain. Yeah, I, I think it's important that that why question, it's important to examine what is the motive behind asking that? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we ask why because we want to find somebody to blame. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the simple answer is to the why is sin and death in right. the world. Yep. And, and so if we, we can focus on that and that's focusing on the problem that happened yeah. and that problem's common. I mean, if you look at, there is only one thing I know of that every single character of the Bible has in common and that is suffering. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, everything else changes, but every single one of them has suffering and, and, or has suffered. And part of that is because we live in this fallen world. And, and, and for us to think that as believers that we're not going to suffer, mm. one, it's a little presumptuous because the creator of the universe stepped down yeah. into his creation and subjected himself to the same rules. And I think it's Dorothy Sayers who says, you know, he played by his own rules. For whatever uh. reason he chose to do it, he was willing to do it and take his own medicine. And he stepped into the pain of death. And, and I'm butchering this, the, her quote, but ultimately she ends and he said he thought it was worthwhile. Yeah. And so who right. are we to question whether or not we go through suffering? Yeah. And, and even Tozer says, A.W. Tozer says, you know, it's doubtful whether God can greatly bless a man until he deeply hurts him. That's right. And there's something beautiful about receiving that hurt mm. and then giving it back to God. Yeah. Because we're all broken, but Christ was broken for us. And when we take our brokenness to Christ, because mm. he was broken, he can make us whole yeah. and then use us. In, in this beautiful way, um, there's this this Kintsuji Japanese pottery out there that's these like broken <laughs> yep. vessels. Yep. And and it's instead of like me, I would want to like super glue it and not see the cracks. <laughs> instead of doing that, they take these vessels that once were either common use or maybe it was special, but not really um, just just this attractiveness, it breaks. And, and when they put it back together, they infuse precious metals mm-hmm. into it. And so what was once this common piece of pottery becomes this beautiful bowl or vase. And it's beautiful because of the brokenness that yeah. it had is now infused with this gold or this platinum and this precious metal. And I think that's what Christ does is he yeah. takes our brokenness and infuses his glory into it. And when he puts us back together, we have this beautiful brokenness that is part of our story, but it's all for his glory. Yeah. That's so good. It brings a whole new light to, you know, when God talks about being the potter and we're the clay. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not just the shaping and the fashioning of, but it's also the allowing, you know, brokenness to enter into our life. And, and the us, purpose for it. And, and then bringing it back to purpose, repurposing it, putting it back together. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. Guys, where, where can our listeners follow more of your ministry? Um, what kinds of ways can people get involved I'd love for them to hear about this and, and partner with you guys. Yeah. So so our website is hopefamilycare.net. So you can read about us. You can read some of the stories of some of these amazing families. You can see some of the videos for the retreats that we've held. Um, our goal is we want to make sure that we can reach out to as many people who have experienced loss. But in order to do so, we're going to have to find those families that have done so in a healthy way and be able to walk with them and equip them. So if you've lost a child and you're like, I want to find that purpose Mm. and I want to reach out to others, or maybe you have been reaching out to others and you'd like to connect with a network, we would love to connect with you. That's great. You can email us at info at hopefamilycare.net, or you can look us up on the website, um, you can find us on Facebook. Mm. Our our um, Facebook page is at Hope Family Care Ministries. That's the same with Instagram as well. So we would love it if you could reach out to us. If you know of somebody that's lost a child, we would love to reach out to them. But also, we know that there's a lot of you out there. And so in order to reach out to them, <laughs> we're going to need to have hope bags ready. Yeah. And all of our hope bags are donated by somebody. Yeah. And it's $50 to, to donate a bag. And so we want to be able to be able to, or to send 
bags out to all these people. And yeah. so if you want to donate a hope bag or if you want to donate towards our ministry, um, our retreats are s- subsidized heavily by us. We, we know that a lot of the families that come have experienced medical payments, mm. funeral bills, yep. all these things that that cause financial burden. And we don't want our retreat, a place of potential healing for them to add burden right. financially. And and God's called us to say yes to families. And he said, he's going to take care of the wow. finances. But if you would like to be a part of sponsoring families or even supporting us monthly, whatever you want to do, mm. whatever's on your heart, we would love for you to be a part of us. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And we'll put um, all of that info up on this podcast page. So if you're listening to this and you want to get involved, um, then go to, to this episode. Um, we'll put we'll put all that info up there and make it easy for you to get connected um, with Hope Family Care Ministries. Guys, this has been amazing. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much for your time. Thank you for driving over. I'm so glad this worked out. What you listeners don't know is we're about to share some Chinese takeout together. <laughs> We're going to talk a lot more about ministry and life and, and family. finish it off with death by chocolate. Yes. Do a little death by chocolate after that. <laughs> um, but seriously, Rollins family, thank you guys so, for, so much for joining us. And uh, it's an honor to have you here on the, on the podcast. Thank you for yeah, thank what you, so you do. Much. We've already reached out to some of the families we've been walking with and shared with them mm-hmm. some of your stories because it's so true that even though the loss is a little bit different or mm-hmm. what the people that come on here are going through is different to our individual situation. Like it's true that with a God who redeems, nothing is wasted. That's right. That's right. Well, we appreciate you guys so much. Man, what an incredible story. Incredible story. I'm like, Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, they're just an incredible uh, couple too. I mean, to uh, we we had them in our home and we did the interview here and we had dinner afterwards and it was, I mean, just we we ended up talking for hours and hours and hours about ministry, about pain, about hardship, mm-hmm. about helping other people walk through pain. You know, because right now what they're doing is they're helping um, a number of families who have lost. Uh, children and and they're just mm. one-on-one with them and you know um, walking them through that trial and uh, I, I love that that Jeff really leaned into that idea of of fully leaning into your pain and we talk about that often on the nothing is wasted podcast yes we do and we see that that's like the that is a common denominator that is an anchor or a waypoint that everyone's going to have to um, move through if they're going to move through the valley of the shadow of death. They've got mm-hmm. to fully lean into it. They've got to feel it fully. They've got to let that that grief, the waves of grief really wash over them so that waves of grace can wash over them too, you know? And I love the work that they're doing with the Hope Family Care Ministries. Mm-hmm. If you have um, experience or are grieving the loss of a child, um, you can go to their website, Hope familycareministries.org and they have resources and they are available to walk with you through this season. Yeah. Um, just invaluable yeah. information. Yeah, it's really cool. In our conversation, we started um, brainstorming about and kind of even formed a, a loose partnership with Hope Family Care Ministries. And, um, you know, again, it's a loose, it's a loose partnership because we're not really sure what that looks like. But um, just recently we had somebody write in and share that they um, knew a family that had lost a child, and we were able to say, "Hey, let me direct you to some folks who are doing this. You know, boots on the ground, hands on with folks." Um, and so it's just cool how God brought them to us, and then we were able to kind of direct them over to that specific ministry, and just kind of feel like that 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 might be one of the things that nothing is wasted that God's calling us to do is to help direct people to the place where they can really get hope and healing. And so just really encouraged by Jeff and McKenzie, the Rollins family, and what they're doing with Hope Family Care Ministries. Yeah, same. There's a couple books that they sent us um, that they suggested if you are um, a parent and you have experienced some loss uh, in your life and you're trying to explain that loss to your kids. So even if it's not a kid that that of your own that you lost, but maybe there's just loss in general in the lives of your kids, 
uh, whether it's a grandparent or, or someone else, no matter who it is, there's a couple of good resources that they sent us. Um, the first one would be Heaven for Kids by Randy Alcorn. Mm. Uh, Mel, I read the book Heaven. Have you ever read that by Randy I Alcorn? I did. Did yeah. you? It's amazing, isn't it? It's so good. Yeah, it it's so eye-opening. And yeah. I, I'm like, where where did you see that in scripture? I did not see that. <laughs> I know, but it's so, well, it's so biblically based. And yet he takes all these things and he's like, and he kind of like teases it out and says, well, based on what scripture says here, we can, we can infer that heaven's like this. And man, it was, I like, it made me long for heaven. You know, we're like, oh, man, yeah. I can't wait for that. And, um, and so this is kind of his version of that for kids that you can sit mm. down and you can read to your kids to really give them that appetite, what that appetite for heaven and begin having them have a perspective of heavenly things. Um, so that that is Heaven for Kids by Randy Alcorn. Again, we'll put these up on the podcast page for you guys to see. And the other one is Heaven, God's Promise for Me. And it's a, a story by Anne Graham Lotz. Um, and so it's just a good picture book that you can kind of walk your your kids through. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so we'll put those two resources up on the podcast page for you guys. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today. And we want to thank Sleeping at Last. Um, thank you, Ryan, for your music. And you can find him anywhere music can be downloaded, iTunes, etc. And um, here is a little clip of our next show. I was born with a couple heart defects and they've just been keeping a watch on them for years and saying like, at some point you're going to have to have like valve surgery. At some point you're gonna have to have this fixed, whatever. So four major birth defects in my heart. Wow. And so I come back home um, and then about three months later, after, you know, we buried my sister, my cardiologist says, uh, you, it's time for you to have the open heart surgery. Wow. And so I was just like, my parents, my poor parents, like, yeah. how am I going to break this to them? You know, so I have the first open heart surgery. Um, my community was really great about caring for me in that. Um, my family flew out. My sister, Sonia, came took care of me there in da here in Dallas. And then um, <laughs> about six weeks after that, they said, um, we need to do another open heart surgery now. 